This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from the Bible Reading Fellowship. Visit parentingforfaith.org for free online videos and resources and an eight-session course all about Parenting for Faith. You can also sign up for news, subscribe to this podcast, and find out about events and training in your area. Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this week uh, we are looking at how do we help our kids who are really struggling to connect with God. Uh, We're going to have a question uh, answered by my friend James, who has four kids, uh, because uh, sometimes we have this question, how do we parent for faith when we have a lot of kids? What does it look like in a busy household? And then uh, my colleague Becky is uh, bringing a, a bit of equipping on how we can Uh, tell stories with God as a key part of that. And that is a way to be able to help our kids see who God is in the midst of the ordinary everyday stories of the Bible. But first, uh, let's talk about helping our kids who are struggling to connect. In Parenting for Faith, we have some tools called chatting and catching. It's just a way to help children pray, to uh, connect heart to heart with God. And it's about chatting and just full-hearted talking to God about whatever they want and uh, and perceiving his communications back because I believe that God does respond to his children and is uh, communicating even before we ask. And each one of us is on a lifelong journey of learning to um, connect with God and perceive what he is saying to us and and giving us. And we get to help our kids in that. And if you want to know more, you can head to the website. There's the free course sessions on it, uh, one course session for each one. And there's some little uh, tools and little pages if you want to jump in in a brief way. But uh, but whenever we face helping our kids connect, the question uh, that can rise up within us is this fear of what if they don't? What if they don't connect to God? What if they struggle to do that? What if one of my kids whoo, is amazing and, and, and just really connects easily with God and the other one struggles? I don't want my kids to be disappointed in God. And so we can sometimes be hesitant to connect them in the first place. And I think connection is so vital for us as human beings. It is the way we access all of God, uh, who has promised us comfort and guidance and love and peace and joy and all of these things. And in order to experience those, we need to be connected with him. And so helping our kids when they struggle connect is a really important part of our job. And so one of the things that I would really encourage you to do is to remind your kids that that connecting to God and and uh, feeling like you can talk to him and he is talking back and you know that is a process of recognition. In John 10, uh, it talks about the shepherd and uh, the good shepherd goes ahead of his sheep and his sheep know his voice. Uh, in fact, the sheep will run away from any other stranger's voice because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. And we want our kids to have that presence of God's communication in their lives. And we forget that word recognize. Recognition is a process of hearing and communicating and knowing God's voice more and more and more and more and more. And you, if you've been listening to this podcast for 20 episodes, at this point, you may recognize my voice, but if you've only heard my voice for two minutes and I called your phone with an unknown number, you wouldn't be able to recognize my voice first time out. It would be a random American-y type voice talking to you, and it would take you a while, if ever, to recognize it because you haven't heard it enough. And 
all of us are on this lifelong journey of learning to recognize it. And so our kids will go through phases where they'll be struggling to connect or struggling to find what he's um, saying or giving them or um, talking to them about uh, in their life, just like we do. And we can respond by encouraging them that it's a recognition process. It's not a one-off, did I do it, did I not? It's a daily pulling close to God and and figuring out where in the swirl of our hearts and our minds, uh, where is he and, and what is he saying? And that's why we have community. That's why we ask him questions. That's why we take him stuff and say, I'm really upset about this, God. I need you to come close because uh, because we want to grow in how we recognize it. So it's okay if, he's, if our kids are still learning to recognize. A, a second thing that's really helpful to do is to uh, notice how different our kids are from each other. Um, some kids who are really verbal and love conversations uh, find chat and catch something that they easily pick up. Um, other kids have to find their own method of chat and catch. Well, everybody has to find their own method of chat and catch. And some kids are really intellectual. And so um, chat and catch to God in a different way than kids who are very verbal. And so if you have an intellectual kid who really loves understanding and really loves knowledge, uh, so uh, chatting and catching, um, while important, is going to look different for them. They're going to want to ask God questions, and they're going to want to talk to him about stuff, and they're going to want to wrestle with ideas with him. And they're going to connect with him through scripture and through books about you know how he made the world and science. And, and that is an equally valid method of connection. Our goal is to not force our kids into one way of connection, but to, through our knowledge of them, through our experience of them, help them find their way of connecting to God, which will look different. I know one kid who was super arty and wanted to do chat and catch through a, almost like written conversations, drawn conversations. And so she would just sit down with God. Uh, she was like seven and she would just put on music. She made her own little connection station, she called it, in the corner of her room. And she would um, she would just have all these pictures and she would just draw pictures with God. And then she felt like God would like show her a picture. So then she would draw the picture that God gave her. And then she would like draw a picture in response. And, uh, and she just wasn't a big talky kid, but loved uh, really drawing with God. Uh, you know, I knew another kid who was really um, in his head and loved, you know, writing out prayers and he loved reading the Psalms and he loved uh, questioning. And so he felt, he said he felt most connected when he was talking to somebody else who was helping him understand more of God. And some people do connect to God most through talking to God about their confusions and wrestling with the wise and reading scripture with him. Uh, and that is a method of chat and catch. Chat and catch is just expressing yourself to God and perceiving that he is engaged with you and giving you ideas and thoughts and and speaking to you in all the different ways he can. It's, it's a feeling of two-way connection that will look different from everybody else, but all of it you can find in scripture. Uh, and the last thing is to encourage them to try different things. Uh, if, if I'm, last night I was trying to call my kid because I'm away at this conference, and uh, I was a uh, I was trying to talk to him on the phone and the phone kept cutting out and it was so frustrating. It's like being on a train and it keeps cutting out and you're like, should I just bail or should I keep trying? Um, but we kept trying because the connection was important. We wanted to talk to each other. And and sometimes our kids try one way of connecting to God and they're like, see, it doesn't work. 
Uh, and that's just because that way right now with how we're feeling wasn't the best way of connecting. And so let's try something else and to and constantly encourage them to try different ways of connection because as we go through life, we go through ups and downs and different ways. And sometimes I love talking on the phone and sometimes I love person and sometimes I love text. And in my regular life, I go through different patterns of communication. And in our connections with God, we can do the same. And God has the ability to do it all. So how do you want to connect with God today? And we can reframe it like that and just have them try it because there's no, we never hit a wall in communication with God. There's always a next step. So if you're noticing your kids struggling, uh, encourage them that it's it's just a process of recognition, that it will look very much like them and encourage them and help them find new ways of trying to find that heart-to-heart, two-way connection of them having unfiltered expression to him and and of them accessing in all the different ways that he can access them uh, ways of catching from him and if you want to know more go to the website what we've learned having four is that no one child is the same and actually your approach to parenting for faith is going to differ with each child because each of us are individuals and we each uh, we each respond to one another as human beings relationally in a different way. And, uh, you know, each of our children, their uniqueness will relate to God in a different way. And so part of our challenge has been actually discerning what is the best way for each child to connect with God uh, and finding uh, both the time and the space to do that uh, in the most appropriate way. Um, and I think very quickly we realised that techniques or um things that we learnt with our first child uh, were not instantly replicatable with our second. Um, and, and also that those techniques need to be adapted and, and changed as the child grows and matures. And so, uh, so stuff that we would do uh, with our first child when they were first born and when we were growing with them in faith uh, to now when they're approaching teenage uh, definitely uh, have adjustments. But we can also do stuff together and pray. And um, I remember one Lent series we did, um, we had this great little book we followed and we just read a little story every day and uh, and it delved into a bit of scripture and we were able to do that just as a family, which was really exciting. So there's some exciting dynamics with the larger family where you can do some stuff together that, uh, you know, just possibly wouldn't even be possible uh, with a smaller unit but because of that dynamic uh, it allows uh, growth and allows them to 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 train each other and to develop each other uh, into faith as well and that was also my experience as as one of three boys growing up is that we got to the point in our relationship with God where we were able to be peer mentors to each other in our development and particularly um, in my later teenage years where the three of us were at home we were able to pray together and we were able to work together on our faith uh, and it was exciting. Um, so, yeah. As a parent, how do you encourage that amongst the siblings? I think that being encouraged for peer mentoring amongst siblings uh, is not something that can be very easily taught or developed. I think it has to happen organically if it does. I don't think it can be forced. And I think it may well happen between different sibling groups, particularly in a larger family. It may be that one or two siblings can particularly relate, either they're closer in age or they're closer, similar in personality, and they might find that they can work together to develop spirituality. I know um, another of my friends who have a larger family have um, uh, sisters that bonded together over worship music and they can they can sing and play worship and they will join in together and they will 
experience God's presence together in that time of, of some worship because they've connected with that and identified with it together. Um, but for others, it might be different. It might be um, just simply about prayer or simply about uh, asking advice. I'm excited to see how that might develop in my family and, and what behind the scenes peer mentoring is already going on. Um, some people with uh, larger families find it difficult because they feel the pressure to do all the, a lot of the parenting for faith at bedtimes. Is that when your prime time of parenting for faith happens with four children or is it a, in a different pattern? I think that there is there is always scope at bedtime because it is part of a good routine. Um, for me, I tend to find that I will communicate better uh, in the morning, um, but that's because in our routine, I get the majority of the time with the children at that breakfast type table. Um, and um, But then I think that's different for my wife because uh, she tends to not be there at the breakfast time, but uh, uh, during other meal times. So it's so meal times are good because they're part of routine. Bedtime is good because it's part of routine. But I think if I'm perfectly honest, most of our parenting for faith actually comes through the times in between, because actually it's it's there's no point where I'm no longer a parent. Uh, if I'm in role as parent, I am parenting, and actually parenting for faith should just be an integral part of my general parenting. Um, there's no point where even when I'm thinking about a discipline decision or even if I'm thinking about, a, a, you know, what we're going to do today, it should really include an element of faith within that programming. I mean, you know, particularly with elements of discipline, I have to think, actually, am I being fair? Am I being a representative of Jesus Christ when I'm applying this uh, sanction to my child or or when I'm, um, you know, encouraging them or whether I'm, you know, treating them equally as, as siblings? Um I think it's, it's. I think it all feeds in, and actually, your integrity as a person of faith and, and communicator of faith to your children will largely be <laughs> affected by your approach to parenting. Uh, because if you're not a representative of Jesus Christ as a parent, um, that communication is going to be very difficult. Welcome to the wild card section. Today we have Becky from our team and she is going to uh, talk about God, relationship and scripture. Here's Becky. Before working at Parenting for Faith, I was a children and families worker for like nearly 10 years. So I retold Bible stories hundreds of times, several times a week in assemblies. And I found out that the Bible is this most amazing resource book for Parenting for Faith because basically it's one of the ways God's given us to, to show us what he's like and how he interacts with us in the world. And the stuff that happened in the Bible might have happened a long time ago, but it shows us who our God is and what we can expect when we have a relationship with him. So we really want to use scripture well to help our kids know that. Now, I don't know whether you knew this, but in the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned once. It never says, God did this, God did that, God said that. It doesn't even say Esther prayed to God. But as we read it as adults, we're kind of reading it going, in the back of our minds, we're going, well, God must have been really upset about that because they were his people. And so God's going to sort Esther. And yeah, God heard Esther's prayers. And because we have experience of scripture and God, we lay all that down in our heads. So we've got this massive context for how God relates to us in that sort of situation. But kids hearing that story, if we just read that to them from scripture, they would just have this narrative about this woman called Esther and her uncle Mordecai and bad Haman. And God 
kind of get squeezed out of it. So there are, there are ways you can tell Bible stories which really help to bring God's role back in and highlight it. And today I want to share one with you which I found really, really powerful. And it doesn't work for every story, but it works for a lot. And it's telling the story from God's point of view. So all that means is that as you tell it, instead of telling it from a narrator's point of view or as David, um, you tell it from God's point of view. So you're really thinking about what is God doing and why is he doing that? And the way you can do that is by bringing what you know about God from other parts of scripture into the story. So you know that God is compassionate. He's always compassionate. So how is he being compassionate here? We know that God is always truthful. So God is truthful in this story too. And so you kind of apply these things as you go along. So asking yourself questions like, what would God be doing now in this story? Or why would God do that? Will help you tell this. And it is a bit of a technique, but the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Just make sure that everything you include about God is either truth that you've learned from elsewhere in scripture or is derived from the story. But I'm just going to read to you now one that I wrote a retelling of the story of the birth of Moses from God's point of view. God's heart was breaking for his people. When they'd arrived in Egypt, it had been such a joyous time. The Pharaoh had welcomed them and they'd lived there peacefully. But now the new Pharaoh was scared of them and had enslaved them, forcing them to build his great new cities. And now he thought of an even crueler plan to kill all the baby boys so God's people would be no more. But God had a plan too. His people were precious and important to him. And it was through his people that he was going to save the world. And he was going to save his people. God watched and waited for exactly the right moment. As he was watching, a lady called Jochebed, who'd just given birth to a son, a son! How wonderful Jochebed thought as she showed him to her daughter Miriam. But then her heart froze as she remembered the new pharaoh's plan. For three whole months she hid her baby, and for three whole months God waited. He had great plans for this child, and he needed Jochebed and Miriam to play their parts. As the baby grew, as God watched, it became harder and harder to keep him hidden. And one day, through her tears... Jochebed placed her baby in a watertight basket and covered him over carefully. She walked quickly down to the river with big sister Miriam and slipped the basket into the water, pushing it behind the reed so it couldn't be seen. Stay here, she told Miriam quietly, and watch to see what happens. As she walked back to the house, tears running down her face, God whispered to Jochebed, comforting her. Jochebed knew only that she had to trust God. The princess walked along the riverbank looking for a private place to bathe. Her gaze wandered across the water and she spotted a basket bobbing among the reeds. Fetch me that basket, she demanded. Her slave splashed through the water to pull the basket out and as she lifted it, the baby started to cry. Crouched by the reeds, Miriam's heart missed a beat and she froze with fear. An Egyptian princess? Surely... But reaching into the basket, the princess uncovered the baby brother and smiled. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she announced. And to Miriam's astonishment, started to rock and comfort him. Go on, nudged God. 
Go on, Miriam. You've heard me right and I'm with you all the way. Miriam took a deep breath and stepped out of the reeds and timidly approached the princess. Your Highness, she said, um, would you like me to go and find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? As the princess nodded, Miriam turned and sprinted home. Mum, mum, God's done the most amazing thing. The baby's going to be okay. Come with me. Jochebed hurried down to the river and bowed to the princess. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess said, and I will pay you. And when he's older, bring him to the palace and I will adopt him. And God's heart was filled with joy. Part one of the rescue plan, tick. Thanks to the obedience of Jochebed and Miriam. So everything I added in there about God and his character and everything, I found in scripture. So when I was doing it, I was actually using the Bible and looking up saying, does God whisper to people? And so I checked that with a concordance or I, I looked it up on Bible Gateway and stuff like that. So things like God heart, God's heart was filled with joy. Jeremiah 32, 41 tells us that God's heart's filled with joy. We know that God had a plan. He's always had a plan. And um, so when I said God had a plan, the reference is John three sixteen to 17. It's really simple. God watched and waited. We know from Isaiah that God waits for the right moment. So all those things are in scripture. It doesn't have to be so like super theological. Add in what you know where you are with the story as you enjoy the story with your kid. If you don't know, you could say to your kid, I wonder why God did that. Have a great talk about it. Explore it together. It's not about being theologians. It's about just building that big picture of who God is so your kids can see this is the same God. So if he was like that in 3000 BC, he's still like that today. All right, and your question for this week is, what story in the Bible would you definitely not want to have been a part of? Uh, what do you feel is the one Bible story that you would want to avoid like the plague? Although it may be the plague one. So, you know, who knows? Have a good conversation. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week. And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.